I'd be a history pod. I'm your host Nick and today we'll be starting a series of episodes on Germany between 1918 and 1945. The content we talk about throughout this whole Germany topic will be useful for Paper 2, Authoritarian States and Paper 3, Interwar Domestic Developments in European States. However, it's important to note that not all the content will be useful for both of them. So, for example, when we uh, talk about the Weimar Republic in depth, this won't be so useful for Paper 2, Authoritarian States. It'll be useful for background, but not so useful when following the dot points. So always make sure you're following the IB History dot points when you're reviewing your content. Today I'd like to give an overview of Germany in 1918 and talk about the foundations of the Weimar Republic. How did it start? So 1918 saw the end of the First World War, and with this, a forever changed European political theatre. Throughout the war, Germany was ruled by Kaiser Wilhelm II. Although, following the failure of an offensive in spring launched by the Germans um, and the high command, it became clear that Germany was going to lose the war at this point and that they needed to change something to ensure the German state could continue. There were many ideologies floating around in Germany at this time. Um, throughout the 1800s and early 1900s, pan-Germanism, militarism, and ethno-nationalism, which put the German identity centre and really emphasised the uniqueness of Germany in the world, um, this, this was an ideology which was absolutely dominant in the political system. However, there was also a strong tradition of socialism which had been uh, suppressed throughout this entire period and the rise of communism generally around Europe and especially in Russia in 1917 worried the government. So in October 1918, Germany's leaders began a revolution from above in the hopes that this would prevent a political revolution from below. So by a revolution from above, I simply mean that the revolution was sort of dictated down to the population by the already present leaders, whereas a revolution from below would be something more like a popular revolution, where people will say rioting and causing a change of government. So here we have a revolution from above, and this was in the hopes that it would, as I said, prevent this revolution from below. There were a few major changes but they didn't go too far. The first was that the power of the Kaiser was now limited, but he was still the head of state. We have Prince Max of Baden became the Chancellor, so we now have a Chancellor instead of all power being um, instilled in the Kaiser. And the government also included representatives from major parties such as the SPD, which were the Social Democrats. So we have sort of a more democratic Germany um, and the leaders hoped it would give them more favourable terms in the armistice with the Allies. However, as you can see, it wasn't really that big of a change, and you still have the same leaders in these positions of power. However, this revolution from above was not viewed so positively by the US and the German people. In November 1918, the US said to Germany that the Kaiser needs to go. And, de and the people also demanded the abdication of the Kaiser. There was a, we have widespread unrest around Germany. There's a mutiny of sailors called the Kiel Mutiny. Um, Soviets seize control around the, country, around the country, and these Soviets are 
sort of like workers' councils, um, sort of like a, a, a modern-day trade union. Um, so they'll, they'll represent their um, area and there'll be a workers' body to represent workers' rights. And these bodies seize control around the entire country. In fact, the Soviets would have control of the entire country by the 9th of November. And on the, and the following day, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm fled to Holland. And finally, on the 11th of November, we have Germany reaching an armistice with the Allies. So the war is well and truly over now. And Germany, and they're really at the behest of um, the Allies. So with this uh, seizing of control by the Soviets, we have a new government. We have a six-man all-socialist interim government, and it's headed by a man called Friedrich Ebert as the Chancellor. He's a more moderate politician who believed in multi-party democracy, um, and so this marks the be- really the beginning of a democratic republic called the Weimar Republic in Germany. The formation of this new republic coincided with um, the formation of two important short-term agreements, and these brought, definitely brought stability to the new republic. The first important one uh, to know is the Ebert-Gröner Pact. So this was a pact between Ebert, the Chancellor, and um, the Conservative Armed Forces. So if you've if you have studied, say, uh, listen to the Spain episodes, if you've studied Russia, um, really any um, state in Europe around this time, you'll know that the armed forces tend to be more conservative, especially the leadership. And so Ebert knew that he would need to make a deal with these armed forces in order to be able to maintain control. And so Ebert po- promised the um, support of the government to put down communist uprisings um, in in return for military support. So the short-term effect of this is that the army provided support and stability to the new republic, but we also have a long-term effect that the military elite are in strong positions um, and they can undermine this democracy later. So that's definitely important to note that the Ebert-Groner Pact is sort of a double-edged sword. Similarly, the Stins Legion Agreement um, was an agreement between moderate socialists and industrial leaders. So we have with the Ebert Groener Pact, uh, Ebert making a deal with the more conservative parts of Germany, and here we have Ebert making a deal with uh, socialists and more left wing parts of Germany. So this uh, agreement involved industrial workers guaranteeing production. Um, and the leadership putting down mass strikes um, and preventing a socialist takeover. Um, And in return, they just wanted workers' rights, so they wanted a strong tradition of workers' rights in the Weimar Republic. So the short-term effect is that the workers do rally uh, for the government and they don't challenge uh, the sort of ideas of private ownership which are being being brought in. However, again, we have a long-term effect that the industrialists come to resent the power given to workers by the Weimar Republic. So both of these agreements are double-edged swords. They help in the short term, but they undermine the Republic ultimately in the long term. And we'll touch on this um, more in depth later when we talk about 
uh, the struggles of the Weimar Republic and how it fit, uh, how it falls. So this concludes the formation period of the Weimar Republic. As you can see, it's characterized by unrest and a strong clash of political interests. Um, and this theme never goes away through the Weimar Republic's ex existence. But ultimately, Ebert's able to create a system um, which will guarantee the statehood of Germany into the future um, and will create a democratic republic, which he ultimately believes in. So that's all for today. Thank you for listening. And I will see you next time where we explore the initial challenges faced by the Weimar Republic from 1918 to 1923.